0: Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich.
1: And I'm Olivia Kane.
0: And welcome to the Weekly Typographic.
1: A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hey Micah, how's it going?
0: (laughs) I feel like we're always starting laughing because we always, like something funny always happens right before we're able to start and then we just start laughing and it always puts me in a better mood.
1: Good. Kicking off the podcast, let's joy positivity friendship
0: yeah yeah
1: <laughs> some principles of the league Movable time
0: <laughs> it's good it's great i love it we have a bunch of interesting things per the huge this week and i'm actually very excited about the topic that you chose for our nerd alert because it's extremely nerdy and uh, a little bit different than we usually do
1: Yeah, our topic for Nerd Alert is all about making sense of Git and GitHub, for that matter. A version control system that kind of rules some of the coding world that seems like this very mysterious thing to people not in the know. So we're going to be breaking it down, making it super easy and accessible to understand, so hopefully it doesn't seem so mysterious and scary to so many people.
0: Demystifying Git, it's
1: great. Oh, That's great. I love that. All right. (laughs) Great. So our links we have this week, awesome lineup of just like fun stuff on the internet, man. I love the weeks where it's just like, let's just see what people are doing and experimenting with and talking about. And we have a lot of that. So kicking it off, we have Font Brief, a very cool tool to help you choose your next font.
0: I feel like I have seen this before and forgot that it existed. And I think it looked a little bit different once upon a time, but this is a pretty interesting tool because, well, I'm curious what you think about this, but my first reaction was coming from chatting with our friend, Thomas Jockin all the time. And he kind of has a system for how he thinks through adjectives related to design briefs. And it's always sort of like a positive and a negative adjective, like what's the thing you're going for and what's the opposite of that thing, Mm -hmm. which, you know, we've kind of found is an interesting way to help clarify what people are thinking. Cause you could say, give me something clean. And that could mean 10 different things to 10 different people. If you ask what the opposite of clean is to you, that gives you a better idea of what they mean. And this tool seemingly takes that same idea into
1: account. So the tool help you find fonts by personality is one trait you can find fonts. And it's a way to filter through a huge catalog they have on the website. So for example, there are about eight different scales of personality, and then you choose what end of the scale you want your font to be. So scales are like from neutral to expressive, what do you want to be on that scale? From elegant to rugged, from serious to friendly, from classic to progressive, from loud to discreet. And then other check marks and filters you can put in is if you want to be serif, sans, A workhorse, which I love that because sometimes a serif font isn't necessarily a workhorse and that's a very specific determination or a free font too to help you with whatever licensing limitations you might have. So pretty interesting. I love the whole idea of creating different categories for filtering fonts. The popular categories for filtering fonts are like serif, sans serif, black letter, display. And display is just like every font that could ever not be put into a workhorse category. Display can be a near infinite category, let's Mm -hmm. admit it. And so to see people thinking about these different emotional expressions or personality expressions is much closer, actually, to what we mentally filter through when designers choose typefaces.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very, that's a, that's a great point of why this is such an interesting take on it. I was also, I mean, also the fonts that are in here are cool fonts, a lot of which I am not even familiar with. So that's kind of neat to find
1: new Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. There's some that have kind of crazy discretionary alternates where letters fit inside other letters. And then there's a few open source choices on here that I recognize. But yeah, really kind of just runs the gamut as far as variety. And then they have a little link to just the top fonts that are being used on the library and maybe fresh ones. So ones that maybe just came in. Always love seeing new tools like this, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes.
0: Some of the like, two things that were not super clear to me about the UI and UX of this when when I started, one is that you can hover over the adjectives and get a little bit more description of what they mean by those words, oh. which is kind of useful and not immediately apparent. And then the Mm -hmm. other thing that actually threw me off, but at least I think I understand, is that you can click once, say on like the range between classic and progressive, there's one, two, three, four, five notches, right? And you can click once all the way on progressive and it'll filter to progressive, or you can click once and it'll go all the way classic. But I think if you click and then click again, it gives you a range in between, you know? Mm.
1: I think you're right. Yeah. So you can get like pretty specific as far as like some of the personality traits you're looking for with that.
0: Yeah. I actually think that's a little bit of a weird user experience, but it leads to some interesting new filters that I don't think I would have found otherwise.
1: Totally. And then there's some customization for the user interface as well you can change the size of the font sample you can change the color so definitely can have a lot of fun with this
0: yeah and it's font brief by font brief
1: (laughs) i know i think i was also trying to figure out who made it and i believe it's a studio yeah core is the studio we are core is their Mm. instagram followed by thomas so i don't they have no posts yet but maybe they're up and coming yeah very cool. Next link, put on your fun hat. Put on your imagination hat because that's where we're going. We are talking about Martin Grassers abstract type generator that turns typists into artists and it stems from the idea of synesthesia which is already like a very vast mysterious idea to me, but the way they define it is synesthesia is a neurological state where stimulation of one sensory or cognitive pathway, like taste, can lead to automatic occurrences in a second sensory or cognitive pathway, such as vision. So let's say you taste an apple and then all of a sudden you hear music that corresponds yeah. to that taste. It's it's a fairly abstract association. If you eat eat a Granny Smith apple and you think of green. That's not exactly synesthesia. (laughs) It's like pretty much pulling unrelated senses into one experience. And some people experience it, which blows my mind. But there is also this abstract type generator, which is kind of like a created synesthesia experience where you can use this type generator and type out letters and It translates into different colors and shapes. Yes, it sounds wacky, but it's pretty interesting. It is wacky. They have an example, though, of using this type generator and creating text, like columns of text. They have a little newspaper mock-up down below of what it would look like if you put a whole newspaper and translate it into this text generator. And all of a sudden, there's columns of text turns into just shapes and colors. And it's like very poetic, of course. But, you know, uses for this... Font generator can be couples that want to put their vows in colorful, coded language. (laughs) Or you want to turn children's names into art. So many opportunities to think about type in a new way.
0: Did you play with it at all?
1: I did. Have you?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I've got it open now. And it's one of those things that I'm just like, I... I mean, I'm glad you gave those examples of of crazy ways to potentially use it, and I'm just like, shoot, I the only thing I can think to use this for is a random pattern generator kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it's definitely really out there. That's why we had to put on our imagination hat. Right. <laughs> well, I I think that like practicality terms, I also have a hard time seeing this as a practical thing, but really thinking out of the box, to me, this is really thinking out of the box
0: it's definitely cool and and frankly you know if if nothing else which isn't even true i can appreciate it for just being a neat weird crazy idea and also i i appreciate the fact that like this is a tool that can exist now you know i feel like five you or think... ten years ago this wouldn't a be a website and b wouldn't exist
1: do you think that they're using variable font technology behind this
0: oh i don't
1: sorry to put you on the spot <laughs>
0: no, no, I don't know. I'm kind of curious. What makes you think that?
1: Because there are all these different axes, basically, like you can choose what kind of shapes if you want your shapes to have three, four or five shapes, or you can choose what color your shapes go in. And there are different axes to play with in generating what the text ultimately looks like and how the shapes take form. And it seems similar to variable font technology.
0: I do, I do definitely get that. I'm a little curious because the have you actually tried making one and downloading it?
1: No, I haven't downloaded yet.
0: I did. And it's a TTF file, which is the format you need for variable fonts. And I think it could be possible to build this tool without variable fonts, but just, Mm. you know, generate a normal font out of dynamic inputs, Mm. essentially interestingly i'm opening it up now it looks like actually it is i don't think that it is i think that's what's happening because i just opened it up in uh we talked about font goggles a couple months ago Mm -hmm. font goggles is this cool app to help you inspect fonts but also variable fonts and they show you like what variation axes exist and at least my generated font that i just played with doesn't have any variation axes okay so okay. I think realistically what it is, is that the tool to create the font is very dynamic. And mm-hmm. then they're just generating a plain old
1: TTF file. Interesting. Interesting. Still fun. And I love that you mentioned that. This is a world in which the web can contain things like this that are totally off the wall bonkers and yeah. experimental. But like, guys, 2021, possibilities are endless. Yeah. Kind of I love fun. it. Cool. Cool. Our next article talks about breaking the boundaries of typical typographic rules, and it is from our friends over at Creative Boom, and it's titled Archetype Fuses Typography and Architecture to Forge Expressive New Alphabet. So- This looks like a 36 days of type experiment, which is Mm -hmm. always really fun. It's, you know, I think when the type community has people participate in making one, you know, letter each day, and then you get this really cool alphabet after the project's over. And this project is pretty exciting, very imaginative. It collages images of architecture into letter forms, basically, and is very... Each letter is very different, very experimental. And if you look at the project, I think they credit all of the buildings that they're using in each letter of the alphabet. And each building corresponds to the letter. So there's one building and maybe the architect's last name begins with F. And that building can be used for the F letter. And it's just really fun to look at.
0: I am so impressed with this one. This is totally not my normal jam. But the mm-hmm. level of detail in the illustration is fascinating to me. Yeah. This is like when Apple started OS X and they wanted all their icons to be lickable, right? Mm -hmm. Like that level of detail was kind of revolutionary in that moment. And Mm -hmm. I feel that way about this. Like, obviously there are illustrations that are plenty detailed, but this, if you zoom in, there's so many fascinating, beautifully rendered details with the shadows and the ambient occlusion in this i really wonder how they made these if it was drawing or if it was mapping the photo references on directly or if it was in 3d or
1: what i feel very silly because i literally thought these are photos of the building but now that i'm looking closely i realize they have to be renders yeah Agreed. This is like they they
0: might have used textures from the photos in the renders. It's hard to tell if it's Mm -hmm. if it's is the photo integrated or did they like draw those textures based on the photo? I don't know.
1: Yeah. Because there is something, even with all the different buildings, something very cohesive about the look of each illustration. Yeah. Just great. Like I have nowhere to begin. These are all impressive. My favorite is the M. The M for sure is so beautiful. It feels like a script but then you see these buildings incorporated and you're like this looks like it was always meant to be from the beginning of this architecture and the beginning of this form of the letter like very and even the h oh my gosh and it makes i think it it makes you appreciate typography and it makes you appreciate architecture at the same time and i think that's very cool
0: yeah this is a beautiful project so shockingly well done
1: oh love it all right Our last article we're talking about today is definitely a fun one. It comes from GQ, unexpected source for a typographic article, but I think they actually have a pretty interesting perspective because they're not traditionally in the font reporting world, and it is titled, The Radical Origins of 2021's Favorite Font." And they claim that Windsor is 2021's favorite font. Disputable by whoever you want to talk to. But I, I'm fascinated by Windsor. If you don't know Windsor, it is similar to Cooper Black. It has that kind of gooey warmth that Cooper Black does without any hard edges. It's a little bit wider, I'd say. And some of the characters are pretty out there. So the A and the H have these really angled stems basically and it just feels a little bit wonky it feels wholesome for sure I know they describe that here and there's an amazing quote from Stephen Coles from the letter form archive who calls it the corduroy of fonts
0: oh yeah I missed that but that's on point that's it
1: Right. So Windsor was created, I guess, during the arts and crafts movement, which I found was pretty interesting. So that's in the 1900s, not in the 1970s when it kind of became vogue with posters and graphic design from the hippie era. And Woody Allen famously used it in so many of his title slides. So that's had a pretty interesting origin story, but now it's back. And I think it goes along with a lot of people's predictions that everyone's trying to counter this minimalism that came out of the Swiss typographic style of Helvetica everywhere, and even recently with all of the geometric sans serif we see in most brands, all lowercase, Airbnb, Uber, Netflix for some examples, and that this Windsor may have gained popularity as a counteract to those typefaces because it is so warm and feels so friendly and gooey and tangible and lovely.
0: Not that you're biased
1: not that i'm biased uh, um, i
0: i totally despise this font yeah i just think it's so ugly i don't appeal. feel i mean all of the all the adjectives besides lovely that you've used i agree with Dang. so I, and i do understand art movements are all about rebelling against the last art movement so it certainly makes sense i just, just not um, feeling I really it. Don't
1: get it i believe this was one of the first fonts I used as a professional designer for a lettering piece. When I was a Penguin, I designed a book cover for a middle-aged novel, middle-aged novel. So, uh, is that what it's? Is that a thing? Middle-aged, like middle A m- novel
0: for middle-aged people?
1: No. I'm forgetting the word because I haven't been publishing for a while. But it's for kids in middle school. It's a little bit easier to digest.
0: Oh, middle- oh middle-aged. Oh,
1: it might be middle grade. Oh, man. Middle- There's publishing people that are listening to this being like, oh my God, get it together, Olivia. (laughs) But I have to say it's a coming of age story. And it's about this young girl in the late 60s who's obsessed with the Beatles. And I had to do a book cover that made it seem like she was writing in her notebook, but obviously it had to look better than a 12-year-old's handwriting. So I traced Windsor with a Sharpie as if she was tracing some piece of paper. And it's titled, She Loves You. And it already had this like warmth to it that could like bring it into a more youthful sense. That like, even by tracing it, it has juvenile look, but doesn't look too all messed up to be putting on a book cover. So I love Windsor. But That's funny,
0: I remember you talking about that project. I didn't realize this was the font that you were tracing.
1: Yeah, this is. I started the whole trend, Micah, because oh. <laughs> this was back in 2017. Right. But anyways, pretty interesting. They have they have a lot of examples of it being used in fashion, which I always appreciate. I think. Fashion is one of the more accessible areas of the design world where people see things and see fonts. They're like, oh, is that font trendy? Because it's on X, Y, and Z's clothing. Mm. So they show examples of this in the fashion world. I think one brand is a very eco-conscious brand. And that makes sense to me. This feels hippy-dippy. This doesn't yeah. feel corporate at all. It feels like a little bit subversive. Like I mean, Mother even the Works art of- magazine. Yep, yep. And- even in the article, they're talking about young people straying away from big corporations and how so many young people identify as socialists and how this aesthetic is very anti-capitalist mm-hmm. in many ways. So I love those connections they were able to make while writing about it as well.
0: This is a good find. This is pretty fun.
1: Very fun.
0: Now is actually kind of a cool time to take a break and say, hey, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Adobe for helping to sponsor this week's episode. Their creative suite is one of the standards of design software and comes with a subscription to like a giant library of fonts that you can install, embed, use pretty much however you like. We've even got a few of our fonts in their library as well, if you're looking for those. And uh, we are grateful for them supporting the community with us.
1: Totally. And thanks, to to our members. Um, if you don't know, we've got a small and wonderful membership where for a tiny amount every month, you get awesome extra resources in our weekly typographic emails every week. Those are cool fonts that we found that you might want to add to your arsenal, current jobs or gigs you might be interested in. Um, at the moment, it's only $5 a month, and we're upgrading a bunch soon. So hop in now if you want to get those goodies next week. All right. All right, guys. It's time. time. It's It's that time already. It's time. time. It's time. It's Nerd Alert. All right. We're talking all things Git. Me and Micah are psyched about this. I have a bunch of questions I'm going to ask him. And there's a great companion piece to this Nerd Alert in the newsletter. And it is titled Git for Designers by Frank Rolfe. And it's a very helpful overview of how to use Git for type designers and how to get introduced to it. So let's start from the beginning. I know, first of all, a lot of people don't understand GitHub, don't understand Git. I know we've gotten questions in our inbox at the League being like, what is GitHub? Do you think you guys could explain this? I found my first response to the welcome to the newsletter in 2017 when I joined the League newsletter. And I even asked, can you explain what GitHub is? And like, how can I use it to find cool new things? Should I
0: probably forgot to respond, didn't I?
1: It's okay because you respond with a four-year-long friendship. So we're going to start from the beginning. Git simply is a version control system. So version control system sounds complicated and scary, but to all my designers out there, we do version controlling all the time. When we have a document from one round of designing that we did and We don't want to get rid of the changes. We don't want to save over that document, but we want to make revisions. So we save as and do save as the same document, V 2 or V 3 or version 4 or version 5 or version final, 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 real final. Like we've all been there. (laughs) So that's what version controlling is in our everyday life as, you know, designers or lay people. But the
0: problem with that. If I can yeah, tell me for
1: a second, tell me the problem.
0: If you think of the size of a Photoshop file, you know, it could be anywhere from like a few megabytes, to a few gigabytes, right?
1: Oh, I've had a few gigabytes before.
0: Yeah. And so as soon as you save another one, if your first one was a gigabyte big, you save version two and it's another gigabyte on your hard drive. Mm-hmm. And Git is a version control system with the intention of being significantly more efficient than that.
1: Okay. Okay. So the point um, is to only
0: save the things that have changed in the new version.
1: Okay. Interesting. Micah, to use Git, do you have to understand code?
0: No, definitely not. And here's the thing I, I understand people think that because the most popular and original interface to how to interact with Git is via the terminal where you're like typing in what looks like hacker commands. Right. Mm-hmm. But there have been a lot of GUIs graphical user interfaces.
1: Whoa.
0: Is that is that not? I thought you
1: not heard that before. <laughs> it
0: sounds weird to say out loud, but like GUI, like graphic user interface. There's been a lot of apps that have come out that you know are the same process with the same tools underneath, but you're pushing buttons instead of
1: writing commands. Interesting. So let's say I wanted to use git for A Photoshop file. I could could do that or no?
0: You technically can, but the problem is Git works best with things that are text-based because then it can tell the difference of what has changed. Like text is both human readable and computer readable, right?
1: Got it. Yep.
0: And so Git does work with other types of files that are not text-based like a Photoshop Mm -hmm. file. But Mm -hmm. it's not nearly as efficient. It's probably saving two versions. I mean, you still get a bunch of other great tools that go along with it. And there are some extensions to get that help with that a little bit for compressing files and stuff. But for the most part, it's a thing that you want to use with text-based stuff.
1: Super helpful to know. When I was reading why type designers use GitHub is because the code behind type is all text-based so it makes a ufo f- file format actually great for version control because git can read that and tell the difference
0: at this point that is true when we first started that wasn't true ufo mm-hmm. didn't exist really it was very experimental back in 2009 i think i don't remember but i think us and and a lot of people in the type world have been pushing hard for ufo for that reason mm-hmm. and so you know we should probably do a whole other nerd alert about that but UFO is a file format to save all of the information about your entire font that you've been designing in text-based descriptions. It's kind of like if you ever look at an SVG file, you can open it in a text editor and you know kind of decode what it's doing. It's like draw a line here from this point to this point, move over this many pixels, and then draw a line from here to here. That's kind of how UFO works. And then because it's text, Git works fantastically with it to only save versions with the actual changes.
1: I think I understand. This is good to know. This is connecting some dots.
0: Because because the way that that works, the fact that it's saving basically a new instance with just the changes kind of means that you can replay the changes as you have changed it over time, you could. Go back and begin in the beginning and I'm sure there's tools to automate this visually and turn it into a mm-hmm. GIF or something, but you can see every change that you have done over time and still get to the end result of what's changed and still jump back to any point in history, hmm. but also you actually get to see what the changes were at each step of the way.
1: So that sounds like pretty important to someone's journey, especially in designing type, but also do you you use it as like a coder, right? Like all your files that you, you know, push to the web. If let's say you're on V10 of your website and then you're like, oh, wait, I don't want to show a certain portfolio piece anymore. You could go back to V4 Mm -hmm. and essentially restore that.
0: Yeah. You can, in, in a lot of code environments, you can like push a button and it'll... It'll go back to that point in history. And the other yeah. thing is really nice is you no longer have to think about, am I on version 24? Is this version 24.2? It comes up with a unique ID for every point in history, and you supply a little message about what's changed. So you can go back and read the changes if you're good about what you put in those messages. It's very mm-hmm. easy to be like, did stuff, hit enter you know, if you're like pretty, pretty smart about the way that you're describing to your future self, what present self is doing, then you can go back in history and be like, oh, this is when I added the end to my typeface, jump back to that and make a new version.
1: Love that. Love that. Okay. Okay. I can see why this is super helpful. We know what Git is. It's a version control system. How does that relate to GitHub?
0: So GitHub, well, so when Git Git was created first and it's the whole system of how it works and the whole point of Git besides the text-based version control is that it was decentralized. You and I and somebody else can be connected with this, they call it a repository, you know, it's like a folder with all your stuff in it and the history. Okay. And so we can all three be working on a project together and I can type a few commands and sync to your version, and you can sync to my version. And there doesn't okay. have to be a server in the middle. As long as our computers can find each other, everybody's mm-hmm. got a copy.
1: Okay. All right. So to people that may be unfamiliar, is that like similar to how our cloud syncs people up in general? When it you actually it's things- the opposite. Oh, okay. So
0: GitHub. GitHub basically was like, hey, it's it's great that everybody's got a version of the entire project, right? That's cool Mm -hmm. for backup purposes, but Mm -hmm. that sometimes makes it hard to collaborate. Like Mm. how do you know which is the main version? You know, How do you like communicate around the changes that you're sharing with each other? And so Mm -hmm. GitHub was like, we love that it's decentralized, but we think practically we still need a central place to store stuff. And so Mm. GitHub made a cloud server to store Ah. all of your git history it does way more than that now they've like basically since that initial idea have built Mm -hmm. all these tools that make collaborating easy awesome i don't know i don't know a coder who doesn't use github because it's so useful
1: okay okay i love this and you know in the article that we provided there's a bunch of Vocabulary for doing specific actions. I don't want to spend all our time looking at that, but I want to think about the practical scenario. So, the league has plenty of open source fonts in their catalog. Each of these fonts, you can view their source, and that leads you to GitHub. Let's say there's a font in the league catalog and it doesn't have a specific language that you're looking for, and you want to contribute maybe to this font uh, new language support. What actions would be taken through GitHub to make that happen?
0: Oh, great question. Okay, so because it's our GitHub and you know it's our account, we are very selective about who we let access the direct code because everybody in the world is downloading it. So we gotta be like a little careful with who we collaborate with. But the mm-hmm. beauty of of GitHub is that anybody can, they call it forking. You can fork our project because it's open source, you're allowed to. Mm -hmm. And so that means making a copy of our whole project, our repo Mm -hmm. on your GitHub account. And then you have full access to it because it's yours. And so Mm -hmm. you can do all the changes you want, push a bunch of changes, design some new stuff. But because it was forked, which is literally just a button, like it's not anything fancy. There's a button Mm -hmm. on GitHub saying fork this project. But because of that connection to the original, there is a way for you to send your changes back to us and say, hey, would you consider including this in, in the original
1: repo? Got it. Okay. And is that a specific, a- is there a name for the action of sending something to the original creator of a project and requesting? If yeah, it's I guess so.
0: It's, there's kind of, it's described as a pull request.
1: Okay, I've heard um, of
0: that. So you can you can kind of push and pull code is is basically okay. how it is. So pushing code is like, hey, I wrote new code, and I want to send it up to the cloud, right? GitHub mm-hmm. pulling is I want to get all of the changes from GitHub and bring it down to what's on my computer so I can work on it. it. And so if you think about it in that metaphor of the cloud to your computer, it's the same connection from your fork to the original repo. And so you can say, Hey, I would like to request that you pull in my changes.
1: Mm, Okay. Okay, cool. So I feel like this is a great overview of how collaborative GitHub is, how Git allows you to make your workflow efficient and make sense and without having to be destructive in any way. This is a really great overview. I know GitHub itself has an explore option. And I know this doesn't necessarily have to do with Git, but I'm pretty sure you can find cool projects on the explore, and you can even find open source fonts. Is that correct?
0: Oh, for sure. They have like a, a whole search and browse section of their site. At one point, I definitely remember in their browse section, they were highlighting cool projects and featuring cool projects. And Mm -hmm. there was definitely, oh, I think they call it Explore now. And there's like topics. And one of those topics, I think it might be the wrong place now. It might be in collections or something, but somewhere they occasionally feature open source fonts and they're like, Hey, here's cool ones we've found. I also love following type designers who use GitHub because I have found that so many of them are starring and bookmarking cool fonts that they have found and so when i log into github there's it's a social feed of activity of people i've followed and there's a bunch of people who are starring stuff and i'm like shoot i didn't know that exists i'm glad i was watching
1: yeah mega i feel like from the beginning you've been like oh yeah github's second nature to me i totally understand it and what, what questions you have just let me know then i've I'm still a little bit uneasy when I go on GitHub. I kind of understand how to navigate. I'm just saying a fun workshop would be a one-hour workshop on navigating GitHub and understanding this interface because I think so many designers are interested in it. People are interested in open source. Type designers are multiplying in population by the day. I I think that GitHub is starting to actually gain more traction with type designers as they realize the power of it. And I'm I'm hoping to see in the future people bring each other in to help them understand how to run a successful project with GitHub and something collaborative or type-based. If something's on GitHub, does it mean it's open source? That's my question.
0: Oh, that's a great question. No. Here's the thing. GitHub can have both public and private repositories. So I I personally use GitHub. They've also increased their... They were bought by Microsoft a couple years ago, and so they have all the money in the world. And so it used to be expensive to have private repos on GitHub, and now it's not. It's unlimited. And so... A lot of the automations and code and and stuff that we use for the league behind the scenes that are not the open source fonts, I have those in private repos. So those are not open source and nobody can see them. I think you can basically specify on a repository what type of open source license is attached. And they do a pretty good job of inferring that information. And so if you go to one of our repositories with some, some font, they're generally Mm -hmm. pretty good at being like, oh, we can tell from the license that you included or like the metadata attached. There's a view license and it takes you to the license and tells you what you can and can't do with the license.
1: Cool. Okay. So there's like a
0: lot of information to make it super clear whether something is open source, whether it's not open source. And if it is what the details of what you can and can't do with it are. Like, they have a lot of really great information about that.
1: Cool. Wow. You are just demystifying Git and GitHub (laughs) for us today. Last fun topic I wanted to bring up before we close out today's Nerd Alert. There's still so much, like, you can really dive into with GitHub. Something interesting that you mentioned was branching. You mentioned this to me yesterday. What is branching? You compared it to understanding the multiverse in Marvel, and (laughs) I thought that was fun. So... How about you enlighten us for our last little tidbit of information?
0: Okay, I think the reason that I wanted to mention this, it's it's obviously very specific nerdy lingo, but because we had that linked resource that you found with a lot of definitions, that was one super important definition that was not included and I think I have seen a lot of type designers starting to pick up git, but missing out on a lot of the things that software developers who have been using it for 10 years or more have learned about like, what's an efficient way to use this process. And so one of those things is what we call branching. So while we talked about forking as like making a copy of the entire project, right. And then you can like make whatever changes you want and you can request that, that the original author pull in the changes, right. That also sort of exists inside the project with branches so you can as as i'm working on my own code i can say you know what i want to try an experiment i don't know if this n should should be this tall or like maybe i should change the x height on everything or something mm-hmm. i you know, want to try something or add something and i don't want to mess up what i have and so i can quickly make a branch and a branch like you said it's kind of like i i That was sort of a dorky analogy, but in the Marvel universe, there's this universe that we're existing in and then a parallel universe next to it where all the same people exist, but things are just slightly different, right?
1: Like it's bigger.
0: Right, exactly. So I can make a branch on my own thing and Uh change whatever I want. It didn't affect the main branch. And so that's Mm -hmm. still there. That's still reliable. And if I like those changes... I can make a pull request to my own Mm. repository to the main branch and be like, hey, I want to pull in these changes from my other branch and merge the two universes.
1: Very fun. I (laughs) love that we got to talk about the multiverse during this. This But honestly,
0: that's a thing that like I do for tiny little changes and Mm -hmm. giant changes and, and everything. It's a very efficient way to work because you're not especially if you're if two or more people are collaborating on a font it can be hard to keep up with all of the changes if everybody is constantly pushing to the same main repository and if everybody's mm-hmm. kind of got their own little safe world to work in it's it's just a lot less scary
1: i totally feel that i i Whenever I'm collaborating with coworkers, I'm gotta resave this immediately. Can't Mm -hmm. make any changes on someone else's work. Can't mess up everyone's workflow because I accidentally pressed a button I didn't know it would do something. So yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, it's a great way to eliminate that fear.
1: Well, Micah, you have been incredibly enlightening in putting Git and GitHub in type designers' context. I think that's something that's like really missing in like general GitHub education out there is how can this actually be helpful for what I'm working on and my projects? And you know, why can't I use it for a Photoshop file? I love that I know that now. So I think this is going to be awesome for our listeners to learn about. And I know there are people out there that have been asking us, can you go over what Git and GitHub is? And I think this is a really great introduction. So everyone that's listening, you can go ahead, go on the league's website, you look at our source, see how we use GitHub. And I think that can be really enlightening to how to use it in your own projects.
0: All right, I'm definitely gonna consider the workshop.
1: Yes, <laughs> you should. And anyone else encouraging this, please get on board with me. Let me know. All right. Amazing as always, Micah.
0: Well, shoot. Thanks for thanks for all the great finds, everybody. Steph and, and Olivia and and everybody out there who who occasionally sends us great stuff to include.
1: Absolutely. Do 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 do. Doo do do do. do.